This is the Killington Download Podcast, and I'm your host, Justin Cash. In this episode, we bring you an interview with founder of the Fox U.S. Open of mountain biking, Clay Harper. Clay and I discuss his rich history in the sport of downhill mountain biking, quitting the sport altogether and finding his passion for the bike once again, and how being a father has changed the evolution of the U.S. Open. Then, as always, we finish up the podcast with a conversation with President and General Manager of Killington and Pico, Mike Salamano. With just about 60 days till ski season starts, we talk to Mike about what his day-to-day in the office looks like leading up to opening day. We start every Killington Download podcast talking to Killington's communication manager, Crystal Clary. Crystal, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me again. Crystal, it's that time of year. We're 60 days away from winter. How does Killington secure enough people to run all the lifts, all the restaurants, you know, everything that needs to be done? Talk to us about employment. Yeah, so we start really early. I guess that's the answer. We start recruiting really early. Um, uh, Many of our job postings are already up on the website. So if you're looking for a job, now is the time to get like exactly what you want. Anywhere from snowmaking supervisor to sous sous chefs and cooks and food and beverage um, and stuff in the hotel. There are so many job opportunities Um, and everyone gets a season pass, which is just awesome. So if you're here for like, part-time or full-time work, you do get a season pass. Um, And there's so many other benefits, but like, why not work somewhere where you're already at having fun? Crystal, I I worked at Killington. I was a snowboard instructor for a bunch of years back in the, let's just say a while ago now. Um, The free skiing was great and, and the food and beverage. Yeah. So yeah, there's a 50% food and beverage discount, which is wild to me that that is a thing here. Um, You get a discount on retail. And funny enough, Justin, I also started as a snowboard instructor here. No kidding. When was that? (laughs) Um, At Pico in, I think it was 2015 and 2016. Yeah, no, my, my days of teaching snowboarding go back into the, there might be a nine involved in the year. So let's, <laughs> let's just leave it at that. That was a while ago. Um, so Cooler in the Mountains is rolling on. What are some upcoming acts? Yeah, so we have three more shows left. Uh, The final show is Labor Day weekend with Joe Samba. So you can expect some reggae music on Labor Day weekend. And it's just a really good time. If you haven't made it out to one yet, you should. Um, You can BYOB or there are um, bars there, um, Bud Light, Michelob Ultra, anything that you want. So it's a good time. And that that Cooler in the Mountains Labor Day is Saturday, correct? Yes, Saturday at 3 o'clock. So concert on a Saturday, it sounds great. We can mountain bike on a Sunday, golf on a Monday, take a long weekend in the mountains. And then we're, the leaves are already starting to change, Crystal. Tell us what's on tap for the fall. Yeah, so right after Labor Day, we roll right into Spartan, um, which is just a really um, fun yet grueling weekend. Uh, if you've never done a Spartan race, I can attest to it is a complete badge of honor. Um, I did one. I think my soul is still out there on the mountain. <laughs> You're braver than I am. I, yeah. I want no business with, with a Spartan race. <laughs> but new this year, they're doing a trail race. So oh. no obstacles. Okay. Oh, interesting. I'll be signing up for that this year instead of the obstacles. Okay. Um, so that'll be a good time. And then right after Spartan, we go right to the U.S. Open of Mountain Biking, which we talked about in the last episode. Yep. So it's just a complete um bike race and party and just a really good time whether you mountain bike or not we hear all about it we have clay coming up right after you on this podcast um we go into deep deep detail about the uh event in the weekend it sounds amazing 
I highly recommend everybody checking that out. And anything after U.S. Open of Fox U.S. Open of Mountain Biking? Yeah. So one more, well, not one more, but one more for September um, is the Brewfest. And Ooh. tickets are now on sale. It is September 24th at Pico, and that does sell out. So get your tickets early. Brewfest. That's more my speed. I'll, I'll, I'll take <laughs> Brewfest over Spartan Race any day. I, I admire Spartan. I've watched it. I've videoed it. I've photographed it. It's amazing. The athletes are amazing. Just maybe not my cup of tea. I'll take a cup of beer instead. Um, Chris, you earn your beer. Though. No, jeez. Okay. Maybe you've talked me into it. Crystal, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast and we'll talk next time. All right. On this week's episode of the Killington Download Podcast, we are very happy and excited to have the one and only Clay Harper here. Clay Harper from the Fox U.S. Open of Mountain Biking. Clay, welcome to the Killington Download Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. First question right out of the gate. Do you remember your first bike ride? My first bike ride, 1985. So I just gave my age away. So I was five years old, and my father decided it was time for me not to ride with training wheels anymore, and we had this big grassy slope that led to a pond out in our front yard. And he knew I was ready. (laughs) (laughs) And so took the training wheels off, pushed me down the hill. I screamed how much I hated him. And halfway down the hill, I was pedaling and steered away from the pond and rode away. And I pretty much have been absolutely addicted to the feeling of riding a bike since. So it's, I, it's my, it's my absolute baseline for me is bike riding. I, I think, I think almost every kid in the world has that feeling, hopefully that the, the time where the, the training wheels are off and someone lets go of the seat and yep. you don't, you don't quite know exactly. And then you, you look around, you're like, holy I'm doing it myself. I'm and doing it. Yeah, I'm yeah, flying. Yeah. And it's, cha- it's changed a lot now too. The whole industry, and this leads up to like what we're doing with a lot of the youth stuff, has really geared itself towards teaching kids to ride. Um, you know, and a former guest, Ben Colonna, you had on here, does a lot Last of work. Last episode, yep. Yep, does a lot of work in this space too. We have these products, these kick bikes and things. So yep. like my son at three was on a pedal bike. He never used training wheels. And his, I watch, like I just realized his experience of learning to ride was so much easier than mine and less fearful. It makes me wish that I had that. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. As opposed to going headstrong into the pond or, or having yeah, to hey. negotiate the pond. So, it, you know, fast forward, you were a professional downhill mountain biker for a time. Yeah, when, and viewers can't, or listeners can't see this, but I'm using air quotes. Yeah, so I raced as a professional. I was not a career professional. So, mm-hmm. um, I got to the point, I didn't start racing mountain bikes till I was, you know, I rode my whole life. I lived in the country. Um, I didn't have like sidewalks and neighbors next door. So I was just on a bike all the time. Always riding a bike, taught myself to ride wheelies. We'd hit jumps. It's funny <clears throat> when I look at what I did at that age versus what my son and his friends can do now at 12. He, I didn't start riding real mountain bike races till I was probably 17, you know, 16, 17. And then by the time I was 19, I had started riding downhill and made it to the point where I was winning all the amateur races that I entered around here so I could bumped up to the pro class. I was doing okay. I wasn't going to be paying a mortgage riding sure. as a bike, but I got to travel. I made it on some teams. I got free bikes and travel, which opens the world. I get to see a lot of stuff, and um, it was a really good time. And the best part of it was probably racing collegiate. I raced for the University of Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah, third in the country in 2000 one or something like that and they uh, they they, they uh, i'm a bunch older than you are and we had uh collegiate road racing and mountain biking hadn't exactly started then it, so it was just starting when i was there okay like it really just started to take off in the late 90s and i was visiting umass i wasn't going there and the people on the team 
knew that I rode and knew that I raced in non-collegiate environment. And they said, Hey, it'd be awesome if you came here and joined the team. And it was like, let's go. And that so, was perfect. And that, and that really kind of set it off. I met friends doing that, that I'm still friends with that all went into the industry. It really kickstarted my career. I would say in the bike industry, you were a air quote, professional mountain bike rider. Um, you got to travel the world. You're not giving up those memories for anything. What was the next step in your evolution in mountain biking, say after professional racing? So that's a really good question. So I started to fizzle out a little bit with the energy I had to chase that dream to be a professional mountain bike racer. And a lot of it was based on not seeing a path for it. Being a kid from New Jersey on the East Coast, sure, we had one or two big events a year that would come to the Northeast. I didn't even get to go to them as a kid. My parents didn't take me. We weren't in that scene. Not, not because they wouldn't take me, but because we just weren't in the scene. We didn't know. And then I got into it and it was awesome, but very difficult. Like it was very difficult path to make it to be a professional rider. And I just kind of have a worker nature and I love doing events and things like that. And I was frustrated at the time with this landscape of the bike industry and the landscape of racing. And we had just watched this iconic period of mountain biking in the 90s in the U.S. where the world all just looked at the U.S. for mountain biking and it had kind of gone a little bit awry. Like it was falling apart. They weren't paying riders. I just said, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm going to ride for fun. And at the same time, I had this relationship with IntraWest and Mountain Creek Resort in Vernon, New Jersey, where I lived. And I wanted to make a bike park. Went to them with a plan and negotiated a deal to lease the mountain, the lift, and the lodge for six months a year. And my partner and I went ahead and we, we literally created a bike park no <laughs> at 23 years old. And no kidding. I don't, I don't know if I were, if, if I were on the other side of that table, like if I were the, the Mike Solomono of mountain Creek at the yeah, time, yeah, who was, yeah. who was a, uh, Charles Blier. I always have to thank him. Shout out to Charles. Uh, Charles Blier was, um, GM of mountain Creek at the time. And he, he just, I guess he saw the spark in me and gave me a chance, gave me enough rope and, it was amazing, like unbelievable time in my life to be given the opportunity, like given the keys like that. And then my partner, Sean, um, who, who came in with, he was 10 years older than me. And so he had a little bit of money to help make it happen. And a lot of industry um, experience with operations and with the marketing side. And we just, we just went off. So at, at this time, was, was there a Highland? Was there, I, I know Killington's had mountain biking forever, but but it's certainly not what it is today. Were there other big mountain bike parks in the in the country or Canada? Well, at the time, Whistler, sure, uh, up in British Columbia, was the biggest and mainly the strongest. But what people need to understand is in the '90s and early 2000s, ski resorts opened for bike races. So yep. everyone who rode downhill raced because that's how you got on the chairlift. They didn't have regular operations. They weren't building trails with excavators. That all started right around this time. I'm not sure. To, to be quoted exactly, I'm not sure all of the other bike parks that were in existence, but we were one of the first. And we were a couple years ahead of Highland. Okay. That, but that, not not by much. Because then Highland became sort of the epicenter between Mountain Creek and, and Highland. And, and then it took a couple of years for, say, a, a Killington and, and other ski resorts to kind of come on board with the, the machine grooming of, of trails. Would you say that's accurate? Yes. It's, it's a long arc it's actually sure. i mean you know we started building with machines i'd say in 2000 i remember in 2003 literally using rototillers like garden rototillers <laughs> to build trails at mountain creek 
And then that end of that first year, we brought in a mini excavator and we were among the first to do that. You had gravity logic up in, um, up in British Columbia, doing it at Whistler. We started doing it there at mountain Creek and we all kind of were doing it in our own pods and figuring it out. But I know there was some cross pollination. They came to visit. We drove up there and look, you know, we weren't, we weren't in business together, but we were watching what each other did and got started on it. And, um, that was the birth of that period, but it didn't happen terribly quick. People still wanted a lot of natural trails and there was no kids riding hardly any women riding. It was just dudes that wanted to race bikes. And then we started building these other trails. If I could go back in time, I would have made it all happen faster. You know, like if I could see where we were going to, I would have made it happen by 2004. Yeah. 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 But I mean, uh, partly I would imagine uh, equipment has a lot to play into the the history of it as well. Yes. Maybe a little in the, in the, in the buckets and the mini excavators, but I would say more so the use of the equipment. Okay. Like we didn't know that we could take a mini excavator into a rocky woods, uh, like a slope in the woods and create a ribbon of smooth jump trail out of it. Like you didn't know, you know, yeah. just like people didn't know they could backflip a dirt bike and sure, then sure. Carrie Hart does it. And now if you're a dirt bike rider, that's like one of the first tricks you learn. Yeah, you yeah. have to do it. Right. If but we didn't know. Yeah. 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 So, so from there, kind of the birth of, the Fox US Open of mountain biking comes. So somewhere around that time, correct? Yeah. So the way that we the way that we came to start the US Open is probably not what most people would think. As I said before, I was getting frustrated with racing. And so we just had this idea for this open class race. Um, anybody could compete against the top level racers and it was gonna have a big prize. And architected this whole thing to do labor day weekend of the first year we opened so labor day weekend 2003 and as we planning we've already created the idea we realized there was no u.s open of mountain biking and whoa we just created it take it done like calling it the u.s open of mountain biking it was that simple claimed claimed and it wasn't (laughs) i think that nowadays it would be like oh the u.s open of mountain biking is open let's create an event to call it that it was the dead opposite you know we created an event found that name was open and realized that we had Essentially filled that, you know, an open race for big money in the mountain bike industry. Held it in 2003. Used a lot of my former ties as a racer to get a few big names there. Bryn Atkinson showed up with the Iron Horse team, a team that I had been on in the past. He won it. He's from Australia, you know, came and dominated. But it was a big name that we got to come to this little bike park that we were creating. And it was a wildfire after that. It just took off. We held it again in Memorial Day the following year in 2004. And we just started to just get just steamrolling and these people would come and everybody loved what we were doing because at the time we were, we were punk rock, we were anti there's full circle, you know, I've come and we can talk about this, but like now I'm much more interested in supporting the whole industry and creating pathways for, for, for juniors and and kids to start and then conduit for budding amateur racers to get to be pro racers where at the time we wanted to disassemble the whole industry. We wanted to, we wanted to be so disruptive and I think it was good because the industry needed it at that time, but we're not that anymore. You know, we've really evolved. That first year was absolutely wild. We put out some press releases and I said some things that I probably regret, you know, about the sanctioning bodies and all that stuff. Sure. Sure. Luckily there was no social media back then, but we, we wanted to hit hard. We wanted to make a splash. We wanted this thing to be a, a event that people noticed because it was different and it worked and 
I'm forever grateful to Mountain Creek for giving us that opportunity. I'm forever grateful to my partner who helped me, you know, he, he dreamed bigger than me. I was more of like the person that had those connections, understood the mechanics of it, and he had the marketing prowess. And we just, we just put our flag in, in the ground. And I guess when you're 23, you don't think too much about <laughs> it. You just do it. You know, and I'm glad I did that. 23 years old and just, and just starting something that, that has become what it is today is, is pretty impressive. Um, it's truly an open. Anybody can just sign up and race against the best racers in the world. 100%. And that's, you know, something I won't budge on. Um, there's one U.S. Open of golf, tennis, surfing, snowboarding, right? There's not, there's no reason to, to deviate from that, yep. right? Why would we? So with that, it's, it's that Cinderella story that we want to get. And we've had a few. But as it grows, we're kind of looking at ways we may end up having to have more of a pathway. Yes, it's an open, but it might be similar to the U.S. Open of golf where, you have to get through an event the week before to yeah. make it or something. But yeah. as of right now, it is literally show up, put up. So taking a quick step back, there, there was a brief period in time where the U.S. Open wasn't happening. And maybe you had stepped away from biking as a whole. Um, give us a real brief kind of rundown of, of what exactly happened there. Emphasis on the brief part. So yeah. this is a hard story for me to tell quickly, but I'll give you the cliff notes. We were not making any money in the beginning. Nothing. And... I, you know, using my own truck, using all my stuff on the mountain, like it was, it was just all labor of love. And I started with this machine operating. I learned a lot of skills. I started flipping houses and working in construction, basically just got burnt out by 2006, um, sold my half to my former partner. And I went on, I worked in the trades. I wound up eventually owning a couple of bike, ski, skate shops, did the retail thing, um, wound up working also in risk management and I was frustrated with being in the bike business and I'm, I'm older now and it's, it's something I've learned to separate my absolute passion for bike riding from my business. And I've never been happier riding my bike, which is interesting, but there was a period where I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. I ruined it for myself Yeah. to, to, to go to the other lane where the U S open and Diablo Freeride park went during that time. My partner ran the business and the U.S. Open, and he absolutely blew it up. He did such a good job. He created the where it got to. You know, I have to give him full credit. Like, he got the world to pay attention, you know, for a 10-year run there, and it was amazing, or an eight-year run there. Mm -hmm. And then in 2011, the mountain changed hands. Our lease was up. The new owners wanted to control the bike park, wouldn't renew, which is fine. You know, it makes sense. There's not a lot, like, Killington would want their own bike park. Sure, it makes sure. sense. It was like a moment in time. It was over. Mountain Creek took the bike park back over. My partner took the U.S. Open and just kind of put it on hiatus because we didn't have the we didn't have the spot. And so it sat. And then in that time period, I was constantly getting bombarded by my friends Aaron Chase and Jeff Lenoski and Mark Tremaine, all the original Diablo crew to get back on a bike. And they were really frustrated with me because I would just ignore them. I wouldn't yeah. answer their phone calls, you know? Yeah. And then my son was born and I remember I got him a kick bike. It was actually a kick bike that I had saved in the basement from when we owned those retail shops that we had, we had no longer owned. I just remember he got on that kick bike and I was like, Whoa, like he wants me, he's going to want me to ride with him. And so I, um, I called Aaron chase and I was like, 
all right, bud, I'll, I'll get back on a bike. And in two weeks, he had me a bike. Like, yeah. he got me a bike, put all the parts together. Yeah, him, yeah. him and Jeff Lenoski, they both had tons of extra parts, got me on this bike. I went back out, and, I mean, it was, it was instant. I felt good, and I still hadn't gone back to the mountain, though. Mm-hmm. Just hitting some dirt jumps and playing around on a little bike. And then Mark Tremaine, who was the very first person we ever hired at Diablo Freeride Park in 2003, was now managing Mountain Creek Bike Park 4. He's like the Taylor Zink of Mountain Creek Got in, in the teens. of. He... He just, he said, you're coming, you're coming to Mountain Creek and you're riding. He put me on a bike and I have a picture from that day. I'm wearing blue jeans and a t-shirt and I looked like the biggest Joey. I went from being a pro rider to this and like, you know, it had been five years. Yeah. You know, you don't forget, but it'd been five years and I just didn't have any of the gear, all rental stuff. And it was, it was insane. Like, I mean, boom, instantly back in whole lifestyle back to it. And I immediately went about getting the U S open back from my former partner it took us probably three or four years to get, you know, to get that aligned. I got it back from him. And in 2017, we relaunched it at Mountain Creek Bike Park. We had an amazing year. That was actually so magical. That was the, the year Nico Malali beat Aaron Gwynn. And Nico was somebody who was a junior winner of the U.S. Open in 2007 or 8. And, like, okay. and Aaron Gwynn had won the last U.S. Open in 2011. And all their families were there. And it was just, it was this magical moment. I'll never forget. Like I have pictures of people hugging at the finish line. And it just, it was like very clear at that moment that we needed to just push on this. So I left my job at the time I was working as a risk manager for Mountain Creek. Okay. And so I left that job and just pursued, just pursued so hard to push this event further and further. Teamed up with Fox, Jeff Taylor, um, who, who's no longer with Fox. He now runs YT bikes, but he was with, fox and he saw the vision he was from the uh, skate and snowboard world and he had known the u.s open of snowboarding forever and he said we want to make the u.s open of mountain biking like that and we just took off mountain creek changed hands again in 2017 <laughs> and we were without a venue and so we that was how we got to killington and that's 2018 2018 at killington yep. you guys built a specific track run I, I don't know the proper terminology so downhill track yes. Tra- so, downhill track thank you i i'm not i'm not as deep into the sport as as say you are you but you can uh, also say course but course track, track course is, track course. is the cool word it's like in the 80s you went jogging now you yeah. go running okay we used to call them downhill courses now it's a track it's a track okay you guys built what i thought at the time was the most baller i mean started at the peak someone told me he's like this guy clay wants to go from the peak all the way down to the bottom i'm like He's out of his mind. You built a custom track, and it was sick. I said to you when I walked in this, we're in the conference room yep. in, in oh, the yes. admin building, yep. and I said to you when I walked in here, I was like, ooh, I got PTSD when I walk in here. This is the room I had to convince Jeff Temple to do that in. Oh. And thankfully, he saw my vision. He understood if we want to be impactful. That's what I always loved about Killington and Powder is I like big impact, and they can read that. They understand that. And especially now with the Woodward element and some of the things we're doing this year with this massive jump and stuff, like we wanted impact. We didn't want to be also ran. We didn't yeah. want to just show up. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know that he fully understood what he was getting into, but <laughs> he gave us the chance to do it. And um, Rosie was here at the time yep. as the, as the uh, bike park trail crew director. He and I probably have 200 miles on foot on the K1 peak figuring I, I, it out because the there is not a constant slope. It is the no. most difficult peak I've ever laid a track out on. And we wound up with this five-minute track that was brutal. And then it rained two inches <laughs> the night before the race. 
And it turned into it turned into what I would say is probably one of the most arduous downhill races ever. So like big applause to Nico Malala. He won that yep. thing with a four fifty four. And I think he might have been the only one who broke five minutes. I, I, I mean, to, I mean, just thinking about it, it should have taken everybody ten minutes. Especially there with were the, some with the mud. Yes, yes. <laughs> there were a lot of DNF yeah. too, because people were just getting so exhausted. You know, you couldn't finish it. But it was great that impact that those pictures and videos of people rolling off that peak, like, it's so it, awesome. And everybody who knows Killington was just. Like, I think people had, like, a weird feeling in the pit of their stomach watching riders go off that. Because when you ski off that face, yeah. you, it's like an elevator shaft. Sure. You're like, sure. Ooh, you know, as you go Straight over. Down. So yeah. watching a bike rider do it, if you don't ride, that's like, you think you're coming to watch, like, someone die. Like, you're like yeah. how are they riding over that? So, but nobody did. You know, it was yeah, great. No, it, wor no. it worked out perfect. Um, it put us, again, elevated the event, elevated Killington status as a bike park that wants to do big things. It, whole event went great. Kids racing was massive that year. Everything was really good. We also broke barriers in the U.S. with one of the first purpose-built best whip jumps up on Bittersweet, yep. and that was that went over really big, and it was amazing. And then we were all lined up to be back in 2019, but Killington wound up with this capital infusion project that probably every single person that's listening to this knows about to yep. redo the K1 base area, which... At the time, I was not terribly excited to hear about, but now I'm very excited because it looks amazing. But yeah. the result of that was our venue was compromised, yep. and we weren't sure how we were going to manage. And at the same time, we had been we had a request from out west to to talk with Mammoth and Snow Summit, which were part of the same ownership group at the time, and we made the call to just do what was best for the U.S. Open and move it to the west. Mountain biking as a whole has a community aspect, whether it's your local town trails and Tuesday night rides or, or what have you, or, or trail maintenance days where everybody comes out. You know, it, mountain biking, more so than other sports, has a, has a really tight community. And, and I think that really shines at your event because it's, it's, it's not run by UCI or who, who, whoever, yeah. whoever it may be. It's run by you, a, a, a mountain biker, right? And, and it's, it's like a, it's, it's a festival with a mountain bike race. It's, it's a gathering. It's a friendship gathering with a mountain bike race. That, that was my takeaway. Yeah. And just before I answer that, the, the first thing is it is not entirely me. You know, there's a team of, course there's a team of people that I should give a shout out to. Sure. Sure. Mike Garceau, former Killington employee here. Certainly. And Mike is, you know, he was on board from 2018 from the moment we came here, and he's done so much background work. I don't think a lot of people understand what he's brought to the table for the U.S. Open. There's a lot of people making this happen, not just me. And a lot of people are doing it just for the community aspect, like you say. Sure. They just want it here. And Killington is one of the best communities I've ever held an event in. In 2018, so... There's this thing called course marshalling. We need volunteer course marshals. You get a t-shirt, free lunch, and a lift ticket. You know, it's a fun day. Yep. You're out there in the action. You're helping maintain a safe track. You're reporting injuries and stuff. I, we usually struggle at events around the country to get enough. You know, maybe 30, 40, 50 people. Yep. We had to turn people away here in 2018 at no, no good. First time I've ever experienced that. Nothing like it. It was Maybe one of the most pivotal pivotal things about being here that made me realize this was a, the right place. That meant that people 
who have no vested money interest in it as a business just wanted to be part of it because they loved the community aspect of it. I bet half of them don't even bike. Unbelievable how many of them don't bike. Yeah. I have never had to explain so much of what a downhill race is in a pre-race meeting, <laughs> but the everybody was so into it. And we created fans that year. Like we created yeah. people who, who I hope are going to come back in costumes with their chest painted this year because the community here, when we moved it to the West coast, I got a steady stream of what we won't call hate mail, but okay. maybe dissatisfied customer emails from okay. people in Vermont and the Northeast who were very unhappy with me for moving it to oh, the West. Okay, okay. I didn't know where you were going with that. All I right. went on for three years while we okay. were out there. Um, most were friendly. Sure. Please come back. Yeah. Some weren't. Okay. Um, but the move back to the East Coast, when we announced that, wow, you could feel it. It just... It was so strong. It was, you know, it was kind of like an old family member coming home. This yep. thing has been East Coast for so long and people on the East Coast want it back. Yeah. And to me, that's incredible. That's another thing like can't be ignored. It's yeah. powerful. I mean, I mean, yeah, Boston, New York, uh, Montreal, get all the crazy mountain bikers from Canada coming. It's down. unbelievable how many people from Quebec. Oh, yeah. So, oh. Right? <laughs> so and, and the and, and the one more thing on that yeah. the community aspect, a big difference between the U.S. Open and a lot of other events we invite everyone, bring your bike, yep. ride. Even if you're not competing, get yourself a lift ticket and ride. We design the whole event with minimal closures of trails. That's awesome. We choose a venue that has free riding open. And Killington, is the bike park's open seven days a week around that period. Mm -hmm. Everything, Black Magic, the beginner trails, the peak K1, everything is open for riders to experience. And there's no better feeling than riding your bike and watching pros race yeah. as opposed to just going to a race watching the pros race and just wishing you were on your bike. So the, the actual event is really fun to watch. I almost used a, a word there. Um, it, like watching the best of the best ride downhill mountain biking is really unbelievable. And, you, and then it's kind of like hockey in person. You don't understand the speed that they're going. Totally. You don't understand the, the understand the, the technical, technicality of what they're doing like it is insane it's it's yeah it's like i don't want to say it's unrelatable but like if i you, i would go that far i mean the speed at what they're yeah. at which they're going is is really like unbelievable yeah i still ride at a fairly high level and when i see the best yeah i am humbled sure absolutely I, humbled like dakota norton the national champ he'll be here this this september when you stand on the side of the track and watch him ride something that you've ridden. Yeah. You don't understand it. You're just like, how'd that happen? How did he get from that rock to that rock at that speed? It's, uh, I got to ride with Danny Davis this past, uh, March in the, in the peace park and the gr almost grace, like, like the ease and grace. Ease, that's exactly where they make it look easy. easy. And if they're really good, it looks effortless. And effortless. That is pure frustration to the rest of us. Oh, let's get into the nuts and bolts. Why we're here today. We're talking about the, you, the Fox U.S. Open of Mountain Biking, September 15th to the 18th. Registration is open, is it not? Registration is open. You can get there from Killington's website or from usopen.bike. usopen.bike. Those links will be in the show notes below. Um, I'm going to give you a rundown here, guys. We've got an enduro. Correct. Down, so if you, would you like me to do it for you? I, I, I've been rehearsing. <laughs> this is real quick, and then we're going to touch on each one. Go for we, it. We have an enduro. We have a dual slalom. We have a best whip, which I believe was a carryover from 2018. You probably had it at every event, but 
Correct. Correct. We've got the next gen youth race, mm-hmm. which I have some things. We have an adaptive downhill. Correct. And then, of course, we have the crown jewel, the downhill. Yes. The okay. U.S. Open downhill. That is the main event. The main event. Yes. So let's start with the enduro. For those who don't know, what is an enduro? So the enduro is um, it's it's what we call our like everybody event at the U.S. Open. It's not the most competitive enduro in the world. We can't. We can't be at the top of both the downhill and the enduro space in one event. That's super difficult. But a lot of people would want to race enduro and then watch high-level downhill. And the way enduro works is it's basically five different tracks that you go out and you race and you ride between them. It's a three-hour event. You can do it with your friends and you get timed segments and then the lowest combined time wins in your class. And it's it's a real community event. And it's not necessarily as stressful or dangerous as downhill. I mean, it's still, you're still racing down a mountain, but sure. like people do on smaller bikes, you don't need all the equipment. You don't need to be a specialist. It's definitely a, it's definitely a everybody sport. If I were to ever get back into mountain bike racing, I think enduro would be perfectly my speed. It would just, it, it seems, I like the break between, between sort of runs, I guess. Or Yes. And what a lot of people like is, Okay, so I didn't do great on that time segment. I'll make it up on the next one. Yeah, yeah. Downhill yeah. is just like skiing; oh. it all comes down to that one run. And, and you, you make one slip, like ski racing or snowboard racing, and you're like, oh, and that's a wait another year. It, it, or, or you pin it, and <laughs> other things happen. And, yes. Um, so we have best whip, and is there a, a big air jump? Or I'm I'm messing that yeah, up. Yeah. By so it. so best whip is a very difficult name for people who aren't yep. in the industry, right? So just figure a whip is when a bike rider jumps and then turns the bike as far 90 degrees as the air they can in the air as they can. It's similar to motocross. Yeah. Very similar. And it sounds so simple, but it is it's the most graceful move in mountain biking. It's it absolutely is natural to some people and other people will be frustrated their entire riding career never be able to throw a clean whip and it's just like the most timeless move and so it's a big purpose-built jump invited riders yep. some are racers some are freestyle whatever whatever their background is and the, they go off this jump and try to turn the bike as far sideways as they can on this big air jump there's a party there's music it's really fun it's, it's definitely the crowd favorite yep and it wasn't happening in America. And so in 2018, Killington, again, another one of those yeah. times in this office, in this conference room, convincing yeah. Jeff Temple to let yeah. us do something. Yeah. Yeah. We excavated bittersweet and built a massive jump. Dirt Sculpt came in and mm-hmm. did that, did a great job and really kind of set the bar in the U.S. In 2019, Snow Summit built a massive jump. And now we're back here and the team here. We met out on the progression area on Ramshead, and I was like, oh, man, it'd be great if we could put a jump here. And I didn't really think they were going to say yes because of where it is. You know, yeah. it's, it's prime real estate. And they're like, yeah, that would be great. And we start talking about what it should look like. I show them some examples. The, the, the um, gold standard is the Crankworks Innsbruck in Austria. Their, mm-hmm. their jump there is incredible. I showed the guys a picture of that. They want it. No kidding. <laughs> so I come back a couple of weeks later and Mike Buffard and CT have, have stacked a pile of dirt that's as big as a three-story house. It's and down on Snowshed, you said? No, Ramshead. Oh, right, Ramshead. Right, right, right near where the downhill finish. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It's going to be awesome. As if you don't have enough going on, there's also a dual slalom. 
Yeah, and dual slalom is similar to enduro. It's not the primary event of the U.S. Open, and we, again, want everybody to be able to do it. And one of the big things about dual slalom is it's kind of fallen out of favor in the U.S., and we don't have it at a lot of events, but it was so big here in the 90s. They had these things called Trail 66, which were downhill and dual slalom races at all the East Coast mountains. We had them here, Sugarbush, everywhere. And they were like a downhill race with a track that was kind of designed and mattered. And then we would make a slalom track in the middle of a ski slope. (laughs) And so the reason this is important is people don't own slalom specific bikes in the, in the East coast anymore. Not many. So we're designing a track that's mostly grass, a couple little berms, going to be fun. A lot of fun for people, not stressful. And you can ride it on your enduro bike, your trail bike, same bike you go for a 20 mile ride on. You can ride this on. Okay, cool. And it's Friday night. It's a feel good event. Like it's still $2,000 to the winner in the open class. I mean, it's nothing to shake a stick at, yeah, but not chop liver. it's it's about fun. You know, and GT Bikes is is going to be there that night with like a, a free lift ticket promo and some and beers and stuff. And it's going to be a really good time Friday night, a great way to just like kick off the events. I'm jumping around a little bit, but we have an adaptive downhill as well. This This is really nuts. The big thing to know about the adaptive race is we have partnered with Vermont Adaptive. Our friends over at Pico, up and down the state, but they have a headquarters over at Pico. Yep, Jeff Alexander, yep. former Killington guy, sure. really gets the relationship to Killington and the relationship to downhill race events. I want to be inclusive. I want to, just the same way we are with, with pushing the, the envelope with women's events and prize purse equality and everything. With Adaptive, I'm not an expert. I want to run those races. We want to have those be part of our, our, our event. But we wanted to partner with an agency or an organization that could tailor it and make it work. So basically, we hand the keys to the U.S. Open Adaptive Race to Vermont Adaptive, and they essentially run that here. That's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a really cool event because we actually let them race against the clock. A lot of other races will do expo events and, like, group rides and stuff. But for us, it's it's a race. It's, it's a race. the U.S. Open is, you know? It's so a, If it's a race, it's a race, right? Yeah, and it's, and it's downhill, and you got... It's tough because it's an evolving sport. There's different bike classes, and some are on two wheels, some are on four wheels, and we just count on Vermont Adaptive to help us hit the market in the right place so that when an adaptive rider gets here, they feel at home and they feel like this event makes sense. Awesome. Um, we have the next-gen youth race as well. Correct. And so this is a, this is a, like a wildly evolving portion of the sport and portion of the U.S. Open. And an important one. Very important. It's, it's basically from... 15 or 16 and down is the biggest number of races per class. Okay. Number of racers per class. And we started next gen in 2017 at mountain Creek and we just had a separate track and we put kids like under 15 or 16. I forget when we started, put them on the smaller, easier track. Cause some kids were starting to ride and my son was starting to ride. That was where I really saw it. And they're pretty good, but like we keep them separate, you know? And then 2018 here, we did the same thing because the track was, just an absolute bear. Yeah. Um, and so we kept them on rabbit hole. We go out to Snow Summit, and the track is a little bit, not easier, but more attainable, shorter. And the level of riders in that age bracket has exploded. So we start introducing next-gen classes to the main track, too. So now we have a small track with next-gen novice, and then we start putting some intermediate and expert classes on the big track. Yep. And now fast forward to this year, and 
it's unbelievable. We have 15 year old riders placing times that would put them on pro podiums. Yeah. The sport it's exploded. Yeah. So what we've done since we're in Rams head with a downhill and our downhill track is much more attainable this year and it's fun and it's fast. We've moved a lot of the next gen racers onto the main track. We still will run the next gen novice race on rabbit hole. We have these expert classes. We actually worked with cat one. I'm sorry. We worked with USA cycling to create cat one classes below 15 years old, which is something that doesn't exist. They're bait. They're beta testing it at the U S open this year with the goal of creating these classes for next year, because there's so many kids now. Yeah. I mean, you, you see it here on any Saturday or Sunday, it's just little grimes everywhere loaded up full kit and just bombing, smoking us on the hill. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Not even Feel, feeling really old, really quickly. <laughs> the only thing, the only thing more humbling than watching a pro clean a section is watching a 12 year old oh. clean a section and make you look like a chump. <laughs> so, so the, the, the crown jewel, we've touched on everything, but the actual downhill itself uh, you alluded to it. It's on Ram's head this year. W- what's the track like? What, what are we, what, what, what should we expect? Anything special being crafted for the, for the event? Yes. So we were a little hesitant to move the U S open to Ram's head and to goat skull. But again, you know, Killington said, we'll make this good. And yep. so we said, all right. So we went out and myself and Taylor Zink and a few others, we walked that track five, six, seven, ten times. Sure. And we've added a lot of features to the track we've sped it up in some spots we've made it into a it's not a it's not like a val de sol level scary world cup track this is a fast and fun big jumps riders are going to have a ball they're going to want to take laps and laps yeah a lot of opportunities for good pictures and video it's one of the best spectating tracks we built this track in 2017 2016 and the track was good but it needed updating and refreshing, you know, now that it was six years old. And so now we have this just like, it's awesome. It's so fun. Like there's the things that have happened to it are so fun. And then the finish line is going to be fun. New jumps are going in and a lot of it's done for the um, Eastern States cup race, which Mm -hmm. is this weekend. Okay. So August 6th and 7th. I'm not sure when this will drop, but the end product for listeners, yeah. Killington customers, yeah. Goat Skull is about to be one of your favorite trails to ride again okay. after the U.S. Open. The uh, and it's and it's all accessible from the from the base of Ramshead. Like if spectators wanted to come, they could they could walk up. You yep. know, beep, yep. beep. and so in in 2016 when we built this track, the one thing that we did we built spectator lanes. Like we cleared awesome. the cleared the woods yep. and made it easy for spectators to walk the whole course. Yeah, yeah. It's like the World Cup, uh, the the Women's World Cup ski race in here. You watch from the bottom, you know, and, and you miss the field. Like, uh, spectators aren't allowed to just sit on the sides of the trail. Like, <laughs> it would they, be melee for well, that. <laughs> well, there, there may be. But, but for this event, you can watch the world's best riders. Every single point of the track. Every single point of the track. There's, nothing, that, there's nothing that's held from the viewers. That, that's really cool. Yep. So, uh, and, that, and that is the big money race. That's the, that's the pinnacle of the weekend. It's on Sunday, um, the 18th of September, and it's the biggest equal prize purse in the industry. So I wanted to touch on that. Uh, you and I talked briefly last week uh, in preparation for this, and the money in mountain biking, the, these guys are risking life and limb. They're going as fast as they can, and, and trees and rocks don't move if you crash. And and they're racing for, like, you know, maybe not $250 like you were racing <laughs> for back in the day. But, but at the same time, like, it's it's not a ton of money and you've and you've made that push to make this event you know something worth winning you know not for just the the title but for the cash as well correct yes and i and i 
I stand behind that. Like, I think that it's important. Um, money isn't everything. No. And to me, that was an opportunity for us, like a differentiating factor for the U S open. There's only one U S open. It should have the highest prize purse and the equal prize purse element of it too, is really important to us. It's something we've done for years now. So it's $15,000 to the winner, both men's and women's side. Awesome. And then we pay out to fifth place and it's, it's big money. Um, it's only going up, you know, the goal would be like, and I'm, don't hold me to this, yeah. I'll say, sir, but you know, in, in coming years, I want to see riders hold up $25,000 checks, $50,000 checks, Sick. like other sports, you know, yeah. and it's, it's a whole nother podcast talking about the monetization of mountain biking, but it has a lot to do with the ability of an event to, on an independent basis, you know, acquire sponsors and partners. And so that's another like non-compromising element of the U S open is we are a little different and Sometimes that makes it hard for us to explain and appeal to riders from all over the world to get them here because we're not a required event on the World Cup circuit. But that difference is what allows us to get partners interested in being part of this because they know it's a unique voice. And we talk about the U.S. Open as something super unique, and it allows us to drive money to a prize purse. And on top of that, we have Killington and Powder Corp helping us with that this year. And ultimately, my goal as like, you know, friend of mine told me when you work in a sport you should try to leave it better than when you started and my goal is to raise the bar with what riders get my goal for what i'm doing in the pro class is to raise the bar for what riders get for prize money well i think i think i can say that uh the the future of the u.s open in your hands looks very bright uh and and what you're doing for mountain biking as a as a sport as a whole especially with the youth initiative um will you know, as you said, leave mountain biking better than, than, than it was when you got here. Everyone who's part of this shares that same goal, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think that really comes through with what I said earlier about how it's like this community event. And like, you really get this vibe of like, everybody's friends when you pull into the parking lot, you know, everybody's got their vans and their tents out, and, you know, they got the bike stands <laughs> and like, everybody's, you know, popping tags on new shit, new ah. stuff. And, uh, and, and there's, and there's, there's awesome stories, right? The U S open probably has some of the best stories of people hanging out with their idols and their legends. And like, I'll drop, uh, you know, drop a little something here. We have Greg Minar and Steve Pete. Okay. Coming this year. And like, personally, those are two of my all time favorite yeah, yeah, riders. You know, yeah. Greg Minar is the goat, the greatest of all time. You okay. Know, he's put up numbers and may, may never get beat. And Steve Pete is just an absolute legend. They are both, they ride with Fox. They'll both be here this year and, and planning activations and stuff around those. So, people will get to, to meet them and talk with them, have a beer with them, do whatever. You know? It's going to be an awesome weekend. I look forward to it. Uh, before we let you out the door, we've been talking for a while now. This is going to be a beast of a podcast. No, no, no pun edit intended. It, edit it down. We're, we're going to do our best. Um, I, I think I know the answer to this question. Favorite trail of Killington? People who know me already know the answer to this. People who don't might laugh at this, but Jumpstart is 100% my favorite trail here. It's the one we hit every single time we ride. And there's no, there's just no better trail to get with a group of your homies and drop and you're hooting and hollering, you're passing each other. You know, it's just a, it's a trail that's very interesting because it's this like, it kind of classified as like an intermediate jump trail, yeah. but you can have a lot of fun on it. There's so many spots to ride your back wheel, do some scrubs, do, do like tire tap on this and I love that trail. Absolutely love it. And they've reworked it a little bit in recent years and it's only getting better every time. And with that, so I love Black Magic. I love Cable Trail. I like Goat Skull. I have a lot of fun on a lot of other trails. 
but that is the trail I ride the most. And it's largely because I'm riding with my son and his friends mm -hmm. and a handful of other friends. And it's always also like, not when an event's happening, regular weekends, it's where you want to finish, right? Like you yeah. want to finish down to the snowshed umbrella bar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where you come around that last bend by the snowshed quad yep. and you're looking over your shoulder, holy crap, did you see this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's high-fiving and bikes down, helmets off, straight to the umbrella bar. Yeah, 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 you got it all right there. <laughs> so that's pretty awesome. So your favorite trail is Jumpstart. Favorite restaurant on the Axis Road that you frequent? Oh, I like them all. Um, I ate at Rivershed last night, which was awesome. How was that? Good. Great. Yeah. And the people there are awesome. Like they, they know we're us open when we get there with our crew and they're yeah. stoked The bartender. Dave is a bike rider, a legend around here. And yeah. like they have our posters up and stuff. So that's, that's great. Cool. I would say the place I frequent the most though is sushi Yoshi. Sure. And that's just, um, because it's, it's unique and really good. And I don't get that. I travel a lot to a different resorts and working and stuff. There usually isn't something like that. So that tends to be a spot we go a lot. Also, I will say, Liquid Art, every, Liquid Art, every morning they're open, like, I'm there. <laughs> the, uh, Jimmy. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, he, he has his own little private mountain biking. I know. He keeps telling me that one of these days, he got to yeah, stop by yeah. and hit my private stash. I, I, I've, never, I've never been either. I've, I've heard a lot about it. We did a video with him. Um, one last question. You referenced this when we talked last week. <laughs> You're over at Ram's Head, you're loading your bike on, and you get to sit next to three other people. Who do you take the Ram's Head chairlift with, chairlift ride with? So this was tough. I thought about this a bunch. I wish that I could take a couple rides so I could get to pick more than, sure, more than sure. three. But it's only one. Other <laughs> yeah. people, other first, guests have, have wanted first, more. First would be my son, Zach. Um, you know, we've been riding together forever. He's 13 now. Riding with dad might not be the coolest thing on earth anymore, but he's still my guy. So yeah. I would want... Him with me, um, George Ryan, who is the, the, they call him Trail Daddy. Okay. He is the Taylor Zink of Mountain Creek now. Got it. Friend of mine since the late 90s. We raced collegiate together. So many stories going back. And he has been to every single U.S. Open. Oh, that's He's awesome. Last man standing that has been entered to race every single U.S. Open in the Open class. No kidding. Only one. Wow. Yeah. So like we'll we'll be recognizing him that weekend. Excellent. So I'd want him on there. He was just up this weekend racing the raw slalom, um, and and then I think that the the third. This is an interesting one. So um, the guy who got me into downhill mountain biking, his name was Kyle Ebbett, and he passed away a couple of years ago. Um, there's a lot of good friends from that group, late '90s, early 2000s, and it's hard for me to pick one. But if I could have anybody on that lifter, that's a be Kyle. Respect to Kyle. Yep, absolutely. And he's an all-time legend. And he he said something to me when I was 16 years old. He was a little older than me, and I had no confidence. I would never. I was always scared of everything. I was good on a bike, but I was scared of everything. And he said, he basically, in so many words, said, if they can do it, you can do it. They're no different than you. Everybody is the same as you. If anybody else can do it, you can do it. And I said that in his eulogy at his funeral, a um, little bit probably more eloquent with the way I stated it, but, and then it's something I live by. You know, I think about it all the time. He was, um, he was a super unique guy. He worked as an auto body mechanic for most of his life. And in his late twenties, early thirties, he was good at a bike and decided he wanted to become a pro racer and did it. Wow. <laughs> and got to travel the world. And no kidding. It. Yeah. And just an inspiration, you know, and then, you know, he, he was taken from us a little early. He, um, with some health issues and it's been, it's been like a, an interesting couple of years. And so myself, Aaron Chase, George Ryan, 
Todd Bosch, you know, a bunch of us from that early crew of riders back then. Um, we spent a lot of time traveling with him. He designed grass slalom tracks, which is no what kidding. we're doing here at yep. Killington yep. this year. Yeah, just a really interesting guy that I'm happy to give a shout out to. And well, sorry, sorry, I'm rambling. No, no, no. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. That's a personal moment, and uh, we appreciate that openness. Clay Harper, we've said it all. We've said a lot. Uh, we got a, your rich history in mountain biking, which is you know great to hear. Awesome, um, and we got the whole lowdown on the Fox U.S. Open of mountain biking. Registration is open. Links are down below. September 15th through the 18th. Make sure you come up. If you're not a biker, just come up and watch. Trust me, it's worth it. Uh, the, the skill and the ability of the best of the best riding these tracks is, is so much fun to watch. You will have a blast, pack a lunch, maybe a, a beverage or two, and watch these guys and gals race. You, you won't be let down. Trust me on this. Clay Harper, thank you for coming on the Killington Download Podcast. Thank you for all your time. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you. We finish up every podcast checking in with Mike Salamano, President and General Manager of Killington and Pico Resorts. Today is no different. Mike, welcome back to the Killington Download Podcast. Great to be here. Mike, we're recording this in mid-August. You look at the calendar and we are a mere two months away, 60 days away from skiing up in the Northridge area. What is what does your day-to-day look like now that we're really into the the nitty-gritty of getting ready for the season? We're, you know, like I mentioned, 60 days away. How does your day-to-day change from maybe a, you know, the the summertime planning to now we're now we're here. Now ski season is within reach. Yeah, I mean, it does start to become reality. We start thinking about, you know, staffing and all those types of things. I mean, my my days a lot of the things we're working on is, you know, we're still in the planning mode, trying to look at things from last year. What can we do to improve? Do we, you know, we're spending a lot of time, just like we look at guest feedback right now, we're spending a lot of time looking at staff feedback. We do a staff survey in the middle of winter and, and uh, we're having all the departments sit down uh, and talk through kind of the good and bad. What do people like about working in their department? What do they not like? And, and really just trying to, trying to be a, organization where we continue to improve. So, you know, that's what we're doing. We're doing a lot of meetings, you know, yesterday we were snowmaking and, you know, say lodging and then food and beverage and just sitting and talking through what their staff said from last winter and then trying to figure out which pieces relate to, you know, myself or the management team or the powder group or which relate to the department specifically, like what can we do better uh, to make them have a better experience? So, we're, you know, we're focused on that now. So, so you mentioned staff. I mean, that has to, it's been a huge, huge hurdle the last couple of years, or maybe hurdle is not the right word. Maybe, you know, it's, it's been difficult to staff a large resort like Killington. What, what, what plans do you have to maybe try to ease that, that, uh, that, that hurdle? Yeah. I mean, that's been the main thing we've been working on. We just rolled out a very substantial wage increase for pretty much the entire company and for returning people. So we think that's going to help. We've been improving our benefits. We've continued pretty much, uh, I think once a month we're, we're adding a new benefit or different things for staff. So that's a positive, you know, and we're still struggling and, you know, bringing in people. So we're continuing to rely on international staff. So, uh, we've been buying employee housing and we're continuing to do so so we can make sure we have 
places for people to stay. So there's just a lot of challenges in that world, right? It's very competitive right now. Everybody knows. And, and to that point, we're trying to build a culture where people want to be here. I think that to me is the most important. We need to make sure that the people we have that are good, that want to stay. And we have a culture uh, that makes people feel like they can move up. And we've been doing a lot of internal promotions as other people have been retiring or moving on. And, and, um, you know, as I mentioned, looking at the surveys and, and really trying to dive in and go, what can we do better? And I think just showing the entire team that we're, we're trying to make it a better resort and have a great culture. You know, I think that's it, whether you're getting on the lift or, or, or grabbing lunch at the peak or, you know, staying at the Grand, it, it does seem like the staff is always smiling and happy. And, the, and they're always, you know, how can I help you um, when I'm on campus up there? And, and I, I think that speaks volumes to the to the culture that you've created at, at the resort. Yeah. I think it's the whole management team really trying to work on that. We've been, you know, I think years ago people would say Killington wasn't that friendly. And I think, you know, it starts from us being, you know, treating our people right. And then I think if they enjoy their job and, and that type of thing, then they treat the guests better. And so we're spending a lot of time on that. You know, I think we can always get better. And that's a kind of the, the mantra in the company and, no matter what the department is, well, you know, what are you doing to improve either be more efficient or be more guest centric or making sure you're taking care of your staff. So, you know, we're focused on all those kind of, I would say intangible things now, but I think right now, especially with the way the labor market is, it's, it's pretty important. Obviously everybody's trying to keep people and everyone's outbidding each other. And I think if it's, if it's a place people want to be, uh, I think we'll do pretty well. And we are doing really well keeping people. You, you mentioned benefits. I think everybody's aware that, you know, if you work at the resort, you get to ski for free. Outside of that, what are some of the other kind of fun benefits that, that a, a new employee could, could uh, expect? You know, we're adding things all the time. You know, in the last couple of years, you know, obviously we added the, you know, um, discount on alcohol. That was a new one, right? We, you know, that came from get from feedback. Someone joked like, wow, if you could give me a discount on alcohol, I'm like, Hey, maybe we can figure that out. Half price beer yeah. after work. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, so there's things like that, you know, more recently we've been adding, you know, we just rolled out a um, 5% match on 401k, which we wow. haven't had before, you know, so that's pretty substantial. That's a 5% raise for everybody. That's, that's free money. Substantial raise, Right. It's free money. And, and that's, so that's a big one. You know, we've rolled out um, a whole bunch of other things in terms of parental leave and very progressive uh, policies, you know, some, wow. some reimbursement for people if they, you know, need to seek an abortion and they can't get one across any of the resorts of powder that wow. pay, pay for them to go somewhere else. So I think the benefit package continues to be really progressive. The powder group's really doing a great job with that. And, you know, those are things we can, you know, I think we're making a lot of progress, but I always say to my team here, a lot of the things we can control the culture and people wanting to be here are really the things we can really control. And we shouldn't be waiting for others to kind of help our survey scores get better. What can we do on our own? I, I would imagine with a resort as large as Killington, that kind of internal communication can be, can be a struggle sometimes. I mean, some people work on the other side of the mountain. Some people work here. Departments are all over the place. How do you guys keep that all organized and, and working smoothly? I mean, that's, 
you know, the, probably the biggest, one of the biggest negatives in, in some of our internal surveys, maybe external is communication. It's, it's challenging, right? We have some staff that have emails, some don't, we use teams, right? And some staff have access to that. Some don't, some seasonal people don't, aren't connected to any of our stuff, right? In the old days, we'd print out papers and hang them around and tell them what's going on. And so, you know, we're working on that. We keep, trying to use technology, either texts or, you know, a lot of groups don't use email and it's just very hard. And plus intraday, right? Like this lift went down and this bear mountains closed for an hour or like, you know, all the things that happen, it's not simple. Yep. And we keep trying to get better at it. And, you know, we have not mastered it. And I think that's probably one of those things that is even as we improve on communication, we need to keep thinking we need to do more because we can really never be good enough. I recently narrated a walkthrough piece for the new K1 Lodge. Uh, construction is ongoing. Have you been up there? Have you had any walkthroughs, anything uh, exciting to, uh, to mention Actually, to the... Myself and my team went up, the management team, we went up yesterday around 11 and did a full tour. So hadn't been there in a little bit. So it was nice to see a lot of improvements, even since that video, you know, there's a lot going on. Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of debate of whether we'll get it done in time. You know, the, the crew tells me we're on schedule, but you know, I think the thing everyone has to remember, there's a lot of different pieces happening at the same time, right? There's sure. actually in some parts of the building, there's finished flooring, lighting, and other things already in. And then okay. there's other parts of the building that have, you know, they're pouring the concrete foundation. So it's somewhat hard to believe. I think the one piece people People probably don't realize is that most of the complicated mechanical items have been installed, which are the real risk. Like you don't get that built. So mm -hmm. a lot of that was in phase one. So I think we're doing pretty well, but there's still a lot of work to do. I'm not trying to say, you know, I'm always a little worried. We're not going <laughs> to, we're not going to get stuff done in time, but I, you know, I think we're in pretty good shape. They were, when I was up there yesterday, uh, there were people working on, on each of the floors on, on totally different projects. And, you know, they're laying a flooring, um, a flooring in the back of the food and beverage uh, behind the cafeteria on the, on the second level. Uh, at the same time, there's groups welding the new stairs from the second to the third level up to the bar level that okay. was getting welded in. And so they were making a lot of progress. I was up there a week before and none of that was there. I think this week the escalators are starting to get put together and that's quite a project. So that'll be something new, but um, you know, there's finished woodwork in some areas as well. Okay. There's drop ceilings and other things. So it's, it is, you look at certain parts, you go, Oh my God, we're never going to finish. But, sure. You know, then you go out on like the brand new section that has just the steel, um, which is the, the, the section that's closest to the, to the um the snow effectively right yeah. the, and that's going to be spectacular when you have like this whole wall of glass looking yeah. up and superstar and looking into the canyon i mean that was like my first view of like wow this is going to be pretty awesome that's 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 really cool to hear i i really look forward to uh to getting a to getting a first-hand look at it i and and also in doing the narration i didn't realize it's the first escalator in all of rutland county yeah, it'll be like an amusement park. Right? It'll be people go round and round. <laughs> they might even go skiing. They'll just go up and down in the ski boots. Um, well, I think we've covered quite a bit. Uh, we have one more episode in season one coming out in a, maybe about a month from now. Um, anything to add, Mike? No, you know it's uh, starting to get chilly. When I was saying yesterday, I. In the morning, I was sweating in my office, and by the time I left the night, I almost needed a jacket. So it seems like 
we're getting into that point in August where you wake up and it can start, the temps are getting cold. And so it feels I, like we're moving towards winter. So I noticed a few, uh, a few leaves on the ground mountain biking the other day. Um, I, I'm, I'm grasping on to summer for as long as I can. I obviously welcome winter, but, uh, if it could just take its time into August or, uh, excuse me, into October, I, I'd be fine by me. Yeah, no, I think we all feel the same way. And then there's always a million projects we're trying to finish out sure. and all those types of things. So, um, you know, a lot going on. You have a ton of projects on top of K1 that's happening. And, and so we always feel like we don't have enough time to get it all done, but, uh, I think it'll be exciting. We're looking forward to everything this winter. Mike, we look forward to hearing about all those other projects on the next podcast. Uh, for now, thank you for joining us on the Killington Download, and we'll talk in a little bit. Thanks so much. Thank you for Crystal, Clay, and Mike for joining me on episode 14 of the Killington Download. As always, you can get all the latest happenings at the Beast through the Killington app for your phone. If you haven't downloaded already, make sure you do. Also, make sure you follow Killington on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I have links to all that and the app in the show notes below. Till our next episode... I'm Justin Cash. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you at The Beast.